President Trump has done a fine job of disrupting the international trading system, but does he have a coherent plan for where we go from here? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Global trading regimes are in a state of extreme confusion, if not chaos. President Trump's policy of scrapping some trade agreements and threatening to withdraw from others, not to mention his penchant for picking fights with the nation's geopolitical allies as well as its adversaries, have trade partners and businesses reeling. In the words of my guest today, William Allen Reinch, the president has broken a lot of furniture, but it's far from clear as to what he intends to replace it with. Reinch is a veteran of the trade wars. He holds the Scholl Chair in International Business at the Center for Strategic and International Studies and is a senior advisor to the law firm of Kelly, Dry, and Warren. He also served as Undersecretary of Commerce for Export Administration during the Clinton administration. Today, we're going to talk about the ramifications of the current administration's trade policies, assess the collateral damage to importers, exporters, and consumers, and try to understand where we might go from here. At stake is the United States' stature as a nation of consistent and coherent rules for cooperating and doing business with its global partners. So here is my conversation with William Reinch. Bill Reinch, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Does it seem to you that President Trump is out to dismantle the entire global trading framework? It seems at times to be the case. Is that your perception at all? I wouldn't go that quite that far. I, th- I think he wants to dismantle it as far as America is concerned. I think the underlying goal, I'm not sure he thinks of it this way, but I think the underlying goal of his advisors is, is to basically force American companies back on shore, discourage them from foreign investment, and force them to change their supply chains to uh, focus more on domestic manufacturing and production. So it's a pulling back of the American part. I don't think he cares much about what happens to the rest of the trading system. You talk in one of your pieces under the title, Make a New Plan, Sam, about the image of him breaking furniture and the question of whether there's going to be something to replace that. The question that keeps coming up in people's minds is, and maybe you sort of answered that just now, is there method to his madness? Does he know what he's doing or is he simply breaking furniture without any clear idea of the consequences of his actions? Well, that's one of the great mysteries of Washington, Bob. The administration claims that there's method to the madness, that all the tariffs and all the tweets have a point. The point seems to be to basically bludgeon the other guys into submission. While he's not always predictable in his chosen targets, his tactics have become fairly predictable because they're always the same, which is to keep hitting the other guy in the face until he surrenders. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't work, but it produces the same tactic, which is always to escalate, always to up the ante. Now, there will be a test of that. Well, there's been a test of that right now with China, 
because he just upped the ante a couple days ago by directing the U.S. Trade Representative to consider increasing the next tranche of tariffs from 10% to 25%. And the Chinese responded late last night with a statement that they were going to impose their tariffs on $60 billion worth of our stuff if we go ahead with our $200 billion. And then they published a list in Chinese, which I haven't seen a translation of yet, so I can't tell you what's in it. But if you think about it in proportional terms, $60 billion on top of $50 billion, that's most of our trade with them. So most things will be covered. The tactic is standard, and his advisors say there's a method to it. Outside observers are finding it difficult to see that, number one. And I've also begun to point out that even if it's there, it's not working. Well, history would suggest and current events would suggest that this idea of hitting someone in the face repeatedly simply results in them hitting you back. That's clearly what's happening. Has there been any precedent for the idea that if we just keep doing this, the other side just folds? It doesn't seem to be the case, does it? Not exactly, although they don't always respond the way the Chinese do. And you've just described exactly how the Chinese are responding. I thought the Korean case was instructive because they're the Koreans, which is a smaller economy, not a small economy, but smaller than China. Basically, their tactic was to buy him off. They made a modest session on steel and a modest concession on autos and an even more modest concession on pharmaceuticals, all of which were related to market access, not to rules or other parts of the agreement. And that was good enough for him. And that was sort of the end of that. The Chinese tried that sort of by suggesting well, we could buy more gas, we can buy more planes, we can buy more soybeans. We sort of testing out this theory because the president said two things about China. One is that there's all these technology transfer issues and IP theft and efforts to build global champions that will drive our companies out of business. On the other side, he also talks more about the fact that he thinks the trade deficit's too big. So the Chinese tried the ploy, sort of same as the Koreans ploy. All right, what if we buy more stuff or sell you less stuff? So far, that hasn't worked, but it did work with Korea. So it may be that he can be bought off. We'll see. Has the approach or the response of the Europeans been any different? I mean, they also threatened retaliatory tariffs, although all that has been put on hold in the U.S.-EU relationship, at least for now. Was their response any significantly different from that of the Chinese? It was closer to the Koreans than the Chinese. They threatened a lot of retaliation, as the Chinese have. So in that sense, it was similar. But in the end, what did we get out of that? We got some soybeans, maybe, that they were probably going to buy anyway. And we got some LNG that they were probably going to buy anyway, and which is at some point in the future because the pricing doesn't favor that right now. And the infrastructure, the terminals at the other end, are not there to permit a significant expansion of exports. But we're apparently good enough for him because he likes quantitative things. He wants to be able to go back to the places that voted for him, which for him means Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and say, I got you more stuff. I got you more cars. I got you more steel. The idea that he would go back to Detroit and say, I got you better disciplines on Chinese state-owned enterprises, that isn't the way he thinks about these things. That might actually be more important, but it's not the way he approaches it. So the Euros are going to buy more stuff. What they got was postponing car tariffs, which is what they wanted. And in kind of an odd move, he said he wouldn't impose them as long as negotiations are going on, which suggests that it's not going to be a short negotiation. I mean, if I were the Europeans, I just keep talking because as long as they're talking, he's not putting on tariffs. What are they going to talk about? It's like TTIP all over again. It's what we talked about for the last five years in the Obama administration. 
TTIP Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership. That's right. This was an Obama initiative, which I think was a good one, which most people will tell you was a good one, and actually is relevant to China because it was what it was really about was not selling them more cars. What it was really about was constructing the world's largest middle-class consumer market that would be setting standards, health, safety, environmental standards, behavior standards, rule of law standards, that countries like China would have to respect if they wanted to access the market. And China is so big, we can't do that ourselves. We need allies. And it was TTIP and also TPP, for, by the way. Trans-Pacific Partnership. Yes, for really good tactics to do exactly that. Maybe we'll get back to that with Europe under this negotiation, although it's too soon to say what is actually going to happen. They announced it, and then there was immediately a disagreement over whether agriculture was included or not. We said yes. Europe said no. The statement says not, but we'll see how all this stuff plays out. You know, European agriculture is really a third rail, isn't it? Uh, that, that's been a big deal. But in the meantime, though, in this nascent global trade war, what is the collateral damage that we're seeing? There's several different kinds. Oddly, there's the damage that our own tariffs are causing us, and there's the damage that the retaliatory tariffs are causing us. The damage our own tariffs are causing us is interesting in a couple ways. One, obviously, it makes the price of stuff we buy more expensive. It hurts consumers, and the more tariffs there are, the more they're hurt. The thing that's different a little bit is normally, if you want to pursue what is really a protectionist policy, you put tariffs on end products and not on the parts and components. That way, you make it easier for your guys to compete. You make the Korean, if we were doing car tariffs, for example, which he hasn't done yet, but he, you would make the car more expensive, but you wouldn't put tariffs on the, the auto parts because you want your guys to be able to get them cheaply. And so far, particularly with China, the president's done the opposite. They didn't want to have a big consumer impact, I think because they knew that would be unpopular. So the, the first $34 billion worth of goods that tariffs have been assessed on doesn't focus on consumer goods and therefore has not had a big immediate effect on the economy, but it focused on parts and components. So the American companies that have incorporated Chinese products into their supply chain have a big problem because suddenly their parts and components are becoming more expensive. On top of that, the Chinese retaliated in kind, so the stuff we're shipping them is also becoming more expensive. So it's a double whammy for our manufacturers. In a broader sense, do you see some negative consequences by the United States abandoning what you would refer to as a possible moral authority over the rest of the world by virtue of the fact that it's no longer part of this international community? Do you see some long-term consequences there? Yes, I'm very worried about that for the long term. We spent 70 years creating at Bretton Woods, New Hampshire, in 1944, and developing and nurturing ever since the Western rules-based trading system that has created historic growth and job creation for the world. It's been a very successful system. It's been very good for us. It's brought us 70 years of prosperity. And the president is pulling us out of that, and by doing things that are not consistent with the rules, like the China tariffs, he's undercutting our authority to talk to other people about what they're doing that doesn't comply with the rules. And we actually, I don't think he believes this, but I think we actually gain more from the rules than we lose. But one of the fundamental elements of having a system where there are rules is that when you lose, you have to obey them. And he's pulling us away from that, which really is saying to everybody else, you have permission to cheat too. 
and I think that undercuts our moral position as a leader of the system. It undercuts our ability to sustain the system, and that ultimately hurts us economically because other countries will take uh, actions that disadvantage us. And on the other hand, then sometimes the president will tweet something or say something about, hey, let's drop all tariffs. <laughs> and it kind of reminds me of uh, Ronald Reagan when he was president, building up uh, you know, Cold War stocks against the Russians, and then all of a sudden turning around saying, hey, why don't we eliminate all nuclear weapons? Do you think that President Trump is serious about that? And if he is, do you think we could live in a world without tariffs and the rules, or is some kind of regime of that kind absolutely necessary? Well, I think we could live in the world. I mean, the economic theorists would tell you we'd all be better off in that world. I think it would be a huge adjustment because there's a lot of barriers and just to get rid of them all. A whole bunch of people would do better and a whole bunch of people would do worse. If you look at this from 40,000 feet up, net everybody would do better. But there are clearly always losers in the process of change, which is what we're talking about. As for the president, I think he means it when he says it. I don't think that he has thought through the implications of it because he's looking for things that give us advantage. He is very happy talking about the European car tariff, uh, which is 10% as opposed to ours is 25 and how unfair that is. You notice he never talks about the truck tariff, where ours is 25% and has been keeping mm -hmm. European mm -hmm. trucks out of the United States for 50 years. He doesn't mention that. If you want to do what he says, which is the three zeros, zero tariff, zero non-tariff barriers, zero subsidies, we'd have to get rid of the truck tariff. Detroit would not be happy about that. We'd have to get rid of our cotton program. We'd have to get rid of our sugar program. We'd have to get rid of a whole bunch of, I think, $20 billion or so dollars worth of agricultural program subsidies if we did this across the board. That's politically somewhere between very difficult and impossible. It's easy for him to say, well, you know, the Europeans will have to give up their comparable things that are protectionist. And he's right about that. But He's not focusing on the politics on this side or what it would do in the short run to the American economy. Well, here we are nine years into a period of uninterrupted economic growth, about to set an all-time record in the U.S. economy. Do you believe that this trade war, the actions that the president is taking with regard to trade, could be the thing that finally triggers a recession and an economic decline in this country? That's a really good question, and I've not been asked that before. First of all, yeah, I think the answer is, if he actually does all this stuff, yes, that could happen. Keep in mind, of course, that he hasn't done all this stuff. He's threatened to do all this stuff, but he hasn't put in the car tariffs. He did steal an aluminum, which I think has had a modest impact. It'll work its way through the economy and get bigger, but it wasn't recession-inducing so far. And with China, it's mostly threats with a fairly modest impact so far. If he goes forward with all of the China tariffs that he's talking about, then I see a big impact. The economic question would be, is the impact going to be big enough to offset the positive effects of last year's tax bill? where the benefits are front-loaded and the costs, <laughs> the costs show up 10 years from now, which our children will be paying, but that's editorial. So far, what he's done on trade has not offset benefits of the corporate tax reductions. There's plenty of policy people in Washington saying they're worried about that and they're worried that it will cut into our growth. But nobody yet is predicting an actual recession. So where do we go from here? What is an alternative way forward that would avoid us being left with nothing but a house full of broken furniture? What kinds of policies can we pursue or should we be pursuing to avert disaster? There's not a silver bullet. There's multiple things. Going by area, if you look at NAFTA, for example, which has also been contentious, although we haven't talked about it very much, there is a happy ending there. Here was an agreement that was 24 years old 
that needed to be modernized. There's a lot of upgrading and updating that's being done that everybody's for. All three countries are for. All three business communities are for. You can do that. You can address the president's concerns about autos. I think they're very close to a deal on that, which is going to be acceptable to all three countries. But the United States has been insisting on some process items that make no sense, like this automatic sunset. The agreement automatically disappears after five years unless everybody agrees to continue, which would create a total climate of uncertainty and deter future investment and prevent people from doing things. Those are simply unacceptable to Canada and Mexico. If the U.S. would drop those things, they're referred to as in the in my business is the poison pills. If the U.S. would drop its poison pill proposals, then a NAFTA agreement that would be win-win-win is right there and attainable, and the president would have something in it, too. It would not be, from his perspective, a defeat for the United States. China is a lot more complicated because what we're asking them to do on the tech transfer side and this Made in China 2025 thing, basically we're asking them to reorganize their economy, move to a market basis and do it in a way that will undermine the party's control of the state. They're not going to do that. They're never going to do that. Self-preservation is job one in China. A lot of the requests that we're dealing with here have to do with digital trade and hardware and software. And digital trade for China is not a trade issue. It's the way they control the internet. It's a national security issue and a public control issue. This is not going to get solved in a trade negotiation. What I've suggested about it is two things. One, do as much as you can through coalitions. And this goes back to something we were talking about a few minutes ago. China does not like to be the outlier. They don't like to have everybody telling them that they're wrong. So what you do is you get everybody else to agree with you and tell them they're wrong. And Obama did this in a couple of cases, and it had some success. If you can get the Europeans, Japan, Korea, the Australians, the Indians, all telling them the same thing at the same time at a high level, it, it has an impact. The Trump administration is not... They don't think about coalitions, and they missed an opportunity here. The other thing with China to remember is that the real battleground is not in China, where I think we'll always be limited. The real battleground is in third countries. The Chinese plan that they've articulated is to use massive subsidies to create global champions in 10 high-tech sectors that will outcompete and ultimately destroy our national champions. So you can see why it's not a good idea from our point of view. But the real battleground there is third countries. It's not in China. Because in third countries, the playing field is level. Are we doing better in India or are they doing better in India? What about Australia? What about Europe? That's the battleground. And the administration needs to do a lot more focusing on how we help our guys compete more effectively in third countries. And they're really not paying much attention to that right now at all. Well, Bill Reinch, I want to thank you so much for that cogent and insightful look into the global trading situation and the current administration policies about it. I'm going to link to some of your writings in the show notes to the episode. But in the meantime, I do want to thank you so much for being with us and, and helping us to understand this very complex issue. Thanks a lot. Happy to do it. Happy to be with you. Thanks for the plug for our stuff. Always happy to have people listening to the trade guys. That was my conversation with attorney and global trade expert William Reinch talking about the ramifications of U.S. trade policy. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, 
watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.